All right. You ready for this? Yeah, let's do it. Hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, episode 13. This week we're doing Attica Locks Bluebird Bluebird. I'm Ryan, and across from me is my good buddy and fellow host, Jacob. Hello, and also fantasy football league mate. Yes. We had a little bit of that this weekend. We uh, did. Prior and a, to... And a little bit of gin, as I recall. A little bit, and a little bit of spam. It, it, it was an uh, interesting weekend, but yes. Hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, our little book club, book cult, book something or other thing where we, uh, you know, we like to hear the the sound of our own voice while we put our big book brains on display for everyone at home. So this is going to be uh, a landmark episode for us, not just because it's episode 13, lucky 13, yes, but because this is going to be our first female author. And we've addressed this in, I think, the last couple episodes that we kind of, or you at least, kind of came to this realization that we hadn't had one yet. And so yeah. we're going to, this will be the first of the next two where we're for sure going to be getting that in there. And then we'll probably resume our normal uh roundabout way of however we're going to be picking books, but I'm excited about this episode. It's going to be a yes. pretty good episode, and it's going to follow our normal fashion. We're going to tell you a little bit about Attica Locke, the author. We're going to give you a brief summary of the book, and then we're just going to get into it. Uh, we've got some questions that maybe we thought of while we were reading it to, to pose to each other, and uh, we'll essentially just talk to you a little bit about how we feel about it, uh, chew it over a little bit, and then we're going to get to our patented three tiers, four if you're giving it away, five if you're using it <laughs> under a stool, six if you're just hoping it gets sucked into the fourth dimension or something like that, our tier system where we'll rate this book, and then we'll talk about what's going to be coming in episodes to follow. All right, so uh, let's let's get into who Attica Locke is. Well, before that, though, do you want to give the book. do you want to give the traditional disclaimer to those who haven't read the book? Yeah. I like the I, it. It makes me feel it's it's a pattern. It, it's part of us now. You have to give the disclaimer. All right, if you haven't read the book, go get the book and then listen to us. It's that simple. That's how book clubs work. That's how book cults work. Yeah, we try to well. do we try to do a good job of letting y'all know uh, what books we're going to be reading in advance. If you follow uh, follow us on Twitter at Better Bookshelf or on iTunes or SoundCloud at Better the Bookshelf, you can find out what's coming up down the road uh, on there as well. But anyway, yes, Attica Lock, Attica Lock. So uh, I started browsing uh, best book lists from 2017, and uh, she her, her name popped up several times, and so, and so did this book. And so my, my, my big brain just said, hey, she's on multiple lists. We should, we should check this out. So then I started, um, started reading about her, and, uh, and, and she's done um, a lot of screenwriting, most notably for uh, the, I think it's Fox uh, show on uh, Empire. Yes. Um, which, you know, I, I think everybody knows what that it's is. It's a very popular it's show. Extremely yeah. popular um, and extremely successful sh- show. Um, she's also uh, written for for a lot of different uh, uh, movie studios and all, all sorts of different things. So um, she has uh, she's been pretty accomplished in in that sphere. She's written for uh, Paramount, Warner Brothers, Disney, 20th Century Fox, Jerry Bruckheimer Films, HBO, and DreamWorks. Um, so that's that's a pretty exhaustive list. I'm not sure I could name too many big studios outside of outside of those. Uh, maybe Marvel. Uh, I will say it it makes sense that she has a big hand in a lot of like uh I guess television and movie production because in a yeah. lot of ways the 
maybe the dialogue it did kind of have like a very screen like kind of a screenwriter feel to it which i appreciate it because yeah. i find that like super digestible yeah so it does make sense for sure a little bit uh she's she's won some some awards uh as well um uh, she's won, uh, or sorry, she was nominated for an Edgar Award in 2010. Uh, she's been longlisted and shortlisted for all manner of prizes. Um, she was a uh, Los Angeles Times Book Club Award finalist in 2009 for Blackwater Rising. Um, so I would waste half the episode going through and uh, enlisting her her awards, but uh, they they are many, and I have no doubt. Um, after reading this book that they will, they will likely continue. Um, it does seem that she's more recently gotten into, into writing, um, like long form fiction as opposed to, uh, screenwriting because she published her first book in 2009. Uh, and then her second, um, the cutting season was 2012, then Pleasantville in 15. And then this one in 17. So okay. seems like she's starting to ramp up more as, uh, so we can expect a, another one, maybe 2019. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. We'll keep it on the odd year pattern here. But the uh, she she is a native of of uh, Houston or the Houston area. I don't know how liberally she used that. And uh, the reason I say that is because one of the reasons that I picked this book was it's uh, when I read that it was set in East Texas and like Highway Fifty Nine. Uh, you and I went to college in East Texas. Yeah, we and, spent uh, we spent a good portion of our of our early adult formative years in this sort of area. So I, I, I too, whenever you said that, and I kind of read, read the little uh, blurb about this book, whenever I found out it was yeah. what you were picking, I was drawn to that, that yeah. I thought that was going to be an interesting little nugget there too. That was my trump card. So let's, uh, let's hear the summary for this, this wonderful little nugget. Yeah. So Bluebird, Bluebird by Attica Locke is a story of Darren Matthews, a Texas Ranger who becomes involved in a case in the small East Texas, the small fictional East Texas town of Lark, uh, where two bodies were recently found, one a white woman and the other a black man. We follow along as Darren attempts to solve the mystery behind these two murders. Now, that's a little mm. bit of a surface uh, summary, just yeah. because a lot of the layers beyond that we'll get into here in a little bit. But yeah, at the core of it, a Bluebird Bluebird is kind of your crime with a tinge of sort of like a mystery type story. Yeah. I think that's a fair assessment yep. from a surface level looking at it, but we know that it goes a little bit deeper than that. Yes. And we can get into it. Do we want to get into questions or we just kind of want to talk about, because I let's, think let's, ta- let's start by talking about place because I think that's, the- I was going to say, I think, yeah, it, it's, it's a unique thing that we can kind of talk about even just outside of the things in this book, but yeah. you know, even just our own personal experience in being kind of, in that environment, right to some extent, yeah. So let's let's use that as sort of a launching pad and just and see where things go from there. But you know, uh, the the book really is is about you know the things that happen, but um, the sort of unwritten character or the unnamed character, I guess, in, in in some regards, is the the area in which it takes place. And I don't know about you, but like you know, so I grew up. Um, in, in Dallas. Um, and then I spent some time in the suburbs of, of Milwaukee, but, you know, generally never lived in like a small town environment until, until we went to school out there. And, uh, there were some weird things about, um, about East Texas that, um, were kind of unsettling. And there's sort of like a, 
um, you know, obviously race, we can set that aside for a moment because, uh, you know, that's, that's a big part of what we'll be talking about, but, um, just sort of odd, uh, behavior, right? So yeah. like one of the, one of the things I will never forget was, uh, was driving, um, I think it was on 175, um, from, from Dallas, um, down to Nacogdoches and, uh, there were for years, there was, um, one of those block letter signs in front of somebody's house um, you know, the kind that you'd put out in front of like a diner with a big arrow that would say like, you know, today's special is, sure. you know, whatever. Um, and, um, I, I couldn't, I was trying to rack my brain exactly the, the phrase. Um, but I, there's, this is basically what it said. It said, my neighbor is an asshole and like Jeffrey Dahmer, a pet killer. Wow. And it was right on the side of the road pointing at the at the neighbor's house like in the in one of those little you know just sort of drive through towns where you've got maybe a stop sign yeah um and uh i just remember like passing that all the time and thinking like what could have gone wrong like not only did you go out and find this sign or you just had it for some weird reason uh but you know obviously there was a pet involved but i just it was so mysterious to me and like, you know, you'd pass houses where there was just like the yard was just stuff, you know, it was just piled full of junk and you yeah. know, or old cars and weeds growing. And uh, it was just very like not what I'm what I'm used to. And and people weren't overly friendly. Um, you know, you stop for gas in some of these towns and, you know, they know you're not from there and they just don't give a shit. Sure. Very kind of insulated or sort of resistant Do you towards ever, others. Any weird thoughts like that um, about East well, Texas? I think that's uh yeah that is weird cuz I would imagine in like sized towns like that it's not that you have this you know great turnover of neighbors all the time. I imagine that people that are settled there tend to stay settled there. You know, yeah. I know when we were growing up, when I was growing up very similarly, I grew up in Dallas. Um but did spend a lot of time in Tyler. That's where my mom was from. Okay. And that's where uh my grandmother lived. Uh so we would always be in Tyler for holidays and, and events and sometimes just there staying with her. And so kind of Tyler is a big East Texas town, yeah. which is not really saying all that much. I mean, it's 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 a good it's a good sized town, but it's not big by any means. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, compared to some of the like you were saying, some of the stoplight stop sign, you know, yep. type towns. The one that always got to me that I always I'd always noticed um, drive down to Nack on Highway 59. Or actually, it might have been two fifty nine. Whatever. The, yeah. They they're very. They, oh, if you're coming from Kilgore, it was two fifty nine. Okay, two fifty nine before it turned into fifty nine. Yeah. I forget the name of it, but there was this little little spit of a town just north of Knack, a little bit of a ways. Uh-huh. It was a one stoplight town, and I remember for the longest time they had this like really like rundown. Uh, it was it was like a a trailer building as their city hall. Okay. And okay. I remember one time driving through there. And I noticed that uh, the city hall had changed. They got like a completely new building for it. It actually like looked really <laughs> nice. It was really building. I was, and I thought to myself, I was like, oh, I wonder how they afforded that. And I found out how they afforded it very <laughs> recently thereafter because it was a speed trap town. Yeah. Yep. So that's what I think about when I think about small little spit towns like that. Like uh, you can't, there, there are some diamonds in the rough. I have stopped at like roadside carts that have been hanging out sure, like, sure. to grab gas and stuff like that. And there've been some interesting experiences there, but that was my biggest takeaway. But it was just like, I just need to get through here as, as quickly as I can, but 
like a mile or two under the speed limit or yeah. else I'm going to have to be back at this at this uh, new courthouse building that they have paying them for a speeding ticket. So and, and this is like the same place that obviously the local residents will, will shoot up stop signs and stuff. You know, you, you have there's some of those with, with you know, bullet holes in, in, in uh, speed limit signs and all that kind of stuff. And not to I'm not not to knock on like rural or small town living no. or lifestyle. I think that there is there is this I don't know there is this kind of backwardsness not not even just on kind of within like dynamics of 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 towns but just kind of backwardness in a sense of like how it's established it it feels very I don't know like even even towns that are um even towns that are that are more highly populated or more developed it feels like in that area Everything is just sort of lagging behind, like yeah, uh, things developmentally. Tend- not yeah. not even like not even the people, because I'm just saying like the infrastructure and things like that. When you go through the town, it's very reminiscent of like suburbs in the '90s in a lot of ways, like some of sure, the stores sure. and things like that. In a more even kind of older than that, in some extent. in some cases. Well, the '90s were really just kind of a uh, uh, a version of the '80s that was a little <laughs> bit a little bit different. So it doesn't make it. it it's not too surprising that uh, you know the '90s were a lot like the '80s in terms of their infrastructural and design. Yeah. So I think one of the other things that is is notable about East Texas, at least from from my memory, is is um, is is obviously you know the racism, right? So like there is it's prevalent. Yeah, I mean, you know, now we've now I've been removed there from. I mean, we have. I haven't really been. It's been present. I haven't really been me. present in close to a decade. Yeah. So you know, I'm I'm not naive to think that it's gone, but it was certainly prevalent to an extent when we were there. For yeah, sure. and and so you know, you get guys tearing up and down North Street in Nacogdoches and and you know, jacked up, beat lot up of, pickup, a lot of stars and bars. Yeah. Um, you know, but on on the other on the other side, you know, um, there really was. Um, sort of a, a delineation within the city of Nacogdoches too, that like, you know, black people tended to live on, um, what is it? The South side of, um, of North street, like, you know, our university, I mean, kind of like up where you and I had the, we, we had the house. Um, would that have been South? I thought that was, was the East side. Maybe that would have been, that would have been East. My cardinal directions are yeah. all screwed up. What, yeah. Whatever side that was, but like, it was sort of like, where we had the, the house off like East. Main. Yeah. You had segregation, yeah. like, you know, within, within the city itself. And, you know, I remember, especially when we lived at that house, you kind of went up the hill. Um, there were a couple of gas stations and like, um, there might've been a liquor store or something I went to once and, you know, people weren't very welcoming, you know, a college white guy, yeah, I, you know, marching in there. I think a lot of that too has to do with the fact that Nacogdoches was unique in the sense that it did have a college there. And so it, you yeah, kind of had yeah. a very, you kind of had like a very different dynamic between just sort of the town at large and the actual like college. Cause we stayed yep. for the most part, we stayed in the very college sort of acclimated areas of town. Cause there was a lot to the East. There was yep. a lot to the South that, yep. Really, we didn't, uh, you know, when we were there for school, we didn't see much purpose behind us, like, going around there. We knew people yeah. that were kind of local, but, yeah, it was very much kind of isolated, even within this own kind of small community. So, yeah, there, there, there is sort of a, um, a a palpable separation and um, and segregation, if you will, um, that, you know, was, was never, uh, it was never really, like, 
like just plainly said. It was just sort of like implicit in the way that people went about their yeah. their lives, where they shopped, uh, you know, where where they hung out, like how they hung out, um, yeah. you know, whether it was you know at their houses or on the street corners, like you know, there, there's there's certainly differences there. Um, but I say that to say that you know I think that one of the things that that Locke does phenomenally is capture like the essence of of East Texas and the, and the complexity, yes. the 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 beauty, um, the the sense of like um, of pride that people have, you know, in in where they where they are and in the sort of microcosms of of community. I think that is just like it is painted from beginning to end with perfection in this yes. book so that's why i don't think she's from like houston houston or maybe she's like you <laughs> that like a shot fired no I, i'm just i'm so curious because like she knows this stuff so well i wonder well i wonder I if think she's like it, from a little bit further north up 59 well sure it's, where she knows some of this stuff it's one more. of those things you know if you're not from the area you yeah. just say whatever the closest exactly because sort of i'm not from dallas i'm from suburbs outside of dallas but to anyone who hasn't been around dallas i'm not gonna say oh hey i'm from mesquite fair enough be like i have no idea what you're talking about. You just say you're from Dallas. So Fair that enough. might be more of a greater metropolitan area type situation and explaining that from uh, people outside of the area. But yes, I agree. If there was one thing that really um, that really kind of drew me and kept me going in this book, because I, I, we can get to some of the critiques or maybe things differently later, yeah. but this was certainly not one of them. I thought that just the way that the story kind of, like you said, just how East Texas kind of took on a role as like that unnamed character in the way it was described and the way that it just kind of played its part in every single thing that was going on within the story, both from a a descriptive standpoint of just kind of like a setting, but also, you know, and I think a lot of that too just just comes from our, if I had not ever gone to school or been kind of in East Texas for a good portion of my life, whether it was Tyler or Nacogdoches or, you know, right, right. Longview or, or Lufkin or any of those areas, having not experienced that, it might have been a little bit of a different interpretation for me or it might not have come through as well as that to me. Yeah. But because I had that, then you really could visualize and you could see a lot of like what she was talking about and what she was sort of expressing throughout just the mannerisms in the towns in this. It was very... It was very, you could close your eyes and you could see exactly what what she was saying and what exactly was going on and what everything that was being told. And I think that that is a very, very underrated skill because uh, <laughs> you don't get that, yeah. especially the books that we've read. Like you don't get that um, like presence of location. And it, as, yeah. as weird as that is, not even just like describing a setting, but just like being able to be present in that location whenever you're reading it and understanding like everything that's going on with that. Like right. that to me was what kept me in for a lot of the earlier part of this book because I do think that a lot of this book kind of builds to a point where you start seeing a lot of things happening and and it, it is a little bit kind of, I guess, narratively slower at the start when we're building kind of this background for people. Yeah. Yep. But it never, I never really wavered from not getting into the story because so much of it I did feel like very present yep. just in everything that was kind of going on with with where they were. And I think part of it too is is a narrative choice that, or, or I should say a, a structural choice that she made, which I'm such a fan of, um, is just the, the shorter chapters yes. in, in a book. Yes. And, you know, I, I find so much more frequently that I will read further in a book with, that has short chapters than I will um, with you know long chapters. Just I, I don't know if it's the like like uh, sort of mental payoff of like 
you know, moving from one to the next to the next. Like, you know, I could I could read, uh, you know, 50 pages in, you know, three chapters much more happily than I could read 50 pages in one chapter. And it's such a silly, a silly thing. But every time we get into a book that that has short uh, snippets like that, I just I just plow through them. It's, no, it's incredible. I just I just checked in the book because I remembered there towards the end, whenever kind of things are are unfolding or a lot of stuff is happening there at the end. Mm-hmm. There's a chapter that's it's like four pages. Yeah. And there's a lot of there's about three chapters in a row that are all very like between four to six pages. But it's very I don't know. Yeah, like you said, like it's just kind of that 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 mental thing that you do with yourself whenever you're reading that you says like I'm you know I'm reading a chapter and then maybe if they're short chapters like well I'll read another, I'll read another, I'll read another. Yeah. You end up reading, yeah. you know, forty pages of five or six chapters right where and if you just had this like 40 page chapter that kind of encompassed all this it would just be a mess yeah it would just oh. be a slog to try to go through i think and, and an example of that of the opposite of it but uh that it was kind of saved just by the writing style would have been the barnes book because yes if you remember back it was two sections there was yep. no breaking up there were there were yep. obvious moments throughout the story where it was kind of broken up in events but no like clear Here's a chapter I can stop and and breathe and think about all this. It was well, hundred years of solitude was like that. That I mean, also that as was, well. That was very like I, I think you refer to it as breathless in yes. our episode. That it was it was told very much in that manner. And so contrasting those books to the way that this one was written, I definitely think this is a much more digestible way in a way that I certainly prefer. Along with you know, kind of what you said of of taking that in of 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 being told that story. Yeah, and if we're gonna if we're gonna tie episodes together, I think you know Locke does everything that I love narratively that I hated about um, about Blood Meridian and, and McCarthy in general. Yeah, um, which is you know she gets straight to the point. She doesn't beat you over the head with you know her her narrative style, um, and uh, but at the same time, you know she's she's not simple. Uh, in in the way that she writes, um, you know her 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 word choice and her structure, um, you know are are commendable, um, but they're never uh, they're never like challenging in in an unnecessary way. Which right. after after you know McCarthy, I was like fuck yes, like this, this is a nice change is, of pace. This for is you. great, but but you know then I then I go back to Gabriel Garcia Marquez, who you know is is also you know complex, um, although much more vivid. Than uh, than McCarthy um, in you know imagery and stuff, um, and it, it's it, the one thing I, I don't know if I've said it before that that I love about um, about reading is that um, you can pick up a book like this um, that tends to be simple simple narratively and compare it to you know a book um, like I I immensely enjoyed Hundred Years of Solitude and right. that was a much much denser book but I got sort of like equal enjoyment out of the two right um, so it's that's kind of the fun the fun thing to me is that there's no uh, right way to do it you know even just for me you know to get enjoyment out of it but I man I she's she's greatness yeah if uh, there's I think the highest I mean like the uh, I was saying this I guess. Uh, Again, we're just throwing all sorts of our episodes <laughs> relating together. But one of the highest praises that I think I did for Barnes was just how deliberate and how well that book was written. Because that's yeah. a, that's a big thing to me. Like the 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 key things for me in enjoying a, a work of fiction. I've said it before. It's I want characters to get invested into, and we can talk about the characters in this book. Yeah, we I should. Want, um, you know, I want that that style to kind of keep me engaged throughout. You know, the highs and lows of the books. And I thought that the latter. 
the 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 stylistic approach to how this book was written was I don't know I don't know if if I if I enjoyed it as much as Barnes but it's damn close. Yeah. It's damn close for me as far as just like like just enjoying the nature of reading and enjoying the nature of the way that this story is being told. Yeah. But the other side of that is the characters. Yeah, let's and I let's ta- just get straight into Darren. I want to talk about Darren cuz Darren is our main character and he is the one that I that I focus on or he's the primary focus throughout the book and you have other characters that that are obviously incredibly significant to the story but we follow along Darren. We follow yep. along with Darren, we get his thoughts, we get his sort of emotions. Um when I started reading the book I started getting a little checklist when okay. we're learning when we're learning about Darren as you know, you know, Darren's our main character. He's 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 the lawman. Yeah. He's on suspension. He's you know, he's having issues within his personal life and separation from his wife. He's you know, kind of turned to alcohol as a solution for this. It started kind of setting off little alarms because you start do you do start to get into a little bit of that territory of kind of cliched tropes whenever it comes to the type of characters and the type of story that's being written. Yeah. And I think that um I think that it isn't uh it isn't like fully in that territory because I do really appreciate kind of the the background that's given on Darren and I think that a lot of what uh, makes Darren unique and not necessarily falling into a trope is the whole is is a lot of the 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 racial angle of kind of his upbringing within Texas right his kind of like quest to, to separate himself from that and the inevitable you know of him being brought into it and just how it plays with the dynamic of this town and his own kind of personal struggles with that within his family and within even you know the previous incident that that's on that yeah. he's kind of suspended for, and I think a lot of that sort of keeps us away from that like super tropey cop territory or whatever. But I do think that there is a little bit of line flirting there, and I think that I don't know how would you have. I, I guess the big question then for me, because when I was thinking about this, was what did you what did you how did you feel about this, and what if anything would you have done differently? You think, or would you have liked maybe differently done with Darren? Yeah. So I mean, I felt I felt exactly the same way. I mean, um, he he felt like a character that you know I've. I've read hundreds of times before. I've seen in countless TV shows and, and movies. As a matter of fact, you know, we made the comments uh, at the end of last episode um, that this this book, this character is, is has been picked up by FX um, to, to to do to do a series. And one of my favorite shows, ironically, on FX was Justified, which is based on um, uh, Elmore Leonard's uh, writing. And the main character is substantially similar in sort of his like character flaws and and uh, motivation. Uh, he's he's uh, he's white, uh, and most of the um, most of the series doesn't you know really hone in on on race. There's there's a couple things throughout, um, you know, but but uh, it's it's certainly not centered around that. But uh, I just thought as I was reading through, like, oh my gosh, how how similar are are these characters going to be if they don't take this a certain direction. Now, like from a narrative style, I think that can that can be really disarming. If if Locke is going to go through and present us with um ideas that we might be opposed to uh based on, you know, our own life experiences or whatever, it would make sense to have a character that seems familiar and is disarming that, you know. So, I think that there there is certainly a, a um 
a good reason to do that. I don't know that in this book um, that is was a necessary tactic. Yeah. Uh, just because I think of how she let race kind of play out, which um, you know we we certainly will will talk about a little bit more. I think that if she had hit that subject. Um, a little bit more squarely, um, you know, between the eyes in, in, in how we are as a, as a society um, without sort of having some of these scapegoats that, that she uses, um, then, you know, I think that having him as a familiar type of character, regardless of his race, uh, would have been um, more welcoming to us as, as a reader to be presented with some of these, you know, tougher truths about, you know, who we are as a society. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think that there's a lot of things that, uh, you know, I, I like the way that you did put it, that there is sort of that, that familiarity because you see it in other characters too, whether it's kind of Darren's exploits with Randy and that whole yeah. kind of like grieving widow relationship mm-hmm. or even just Geneva and, yep. uh, and Wally, that dynamic, like everything, the characters are not, they're not one dimensional. Don't, 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 I don't want to, that to yep. be misconstrued as that. But they are very much grounded in in sort of popular convention in conventions, yeah, yeah, that you would normally see. And I think that it does a good job, like you said, in that way of kind of disarming you to not necessarily um, hyper analyzing kind of the you know character motivations or, or what they're doing or their process for whatever it is that they're thinking going forward with all this, and right. allow you more to kind of just indulge in the story or to take in sort of everything at play with that. Mm-hmm. Which again, I appreciate, but I'm very much a character guy. Like yep. I very much I I I thrive on finding sort of unique and interesting characters in the ways that they're portrayed and the ways that their motivations adjust and adapt throughout any course of a story. And so I was a little bit let down by that with this book that I didn't that I thought I, I thought Darren was was a really good central character, but I just thought he lacked that unconventional you know, sort of style. And I think the ways that he was flawed were very familiar ways that we're used to kind of seeing in, right. in those type of characters. And so, you know, I, I don't think, I don't knock the book too much for that because I think that in doing so, she accomplished a lot of what maybe she wanted to do with it. And I certainly enjoyed a lot of not having to necessarily hyperanalyze that, but I don't know. I, I, I in the same way that you put it, I feel like, um, this book did go, in a lot of ways, conventional, or I like the word that you scapegoat. We can talk about kind of the Aryan Brotherhood stuff with that too, as opposed to just sort of like going about it in a little bit more complex way, because at the background of sort of the, the bad guys in this book or, or sort of the prevailing sort of negative forces outside of just, you know, you get your, when you're looking at guys like the sheriff, you get your just kind of like old time, like Southern small town sort of, that type of racial sort of intent or that yep. type of racial, uh, I don't know what the word for it would be. That, that just sort of undercurrent. Just like racism? Well, that, I, well, <laughs> yes, but not, that's the thing is, is I think a lot of this book goes with kind of, it, it, it does, it kind of cops out with sort of the, like the Aryan Brotherhood. So you have yeah. this obvious, you know, kind of despicable group that, that goes about doing these things. And it, I feel like a lot of it could be, and into some way it is a little bit at the end, but on just the more sort of nuanced dynamic of, I want to know like the people in this town, because I think that that is a more interesting and compelling thing to me than just the people that are just like 
members of a gang or a hate right, group right, that are just, right. you know, they are discriminated or they discriminate towards groups because, well, that's just kind of the 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 position that they're put in or the position that they've chosen to be in and, and within their own lives and their own sort of hate and that. Mm-hmm. It's that sort of, that nebulous group of, that's that's what I want. That's what yeah. I want wanted more of in this book. And, and I felt like, like you said, it was a little bit easy to kind of just go, well, you know, Wally had these Aryan Brotherhood ties and you have this Aryan Brotherhood bar. And so it makes sense that they would be upset about Michael kind of, you know, like, well, at least that's the premise we get at first before we kind of realize the whole familial relation and cover right, up right. all that stuff is that you're just sort of, it's like, well, they just didn't like him sort of fraternizing with Missy and, you know, it's, it, it makes sense. And I do like the direction that it turned into at the end when you kind of get that whole complex dynamic of intermingling within yep. these sort of like small communities, like even through racial tension, how like everything kind of is interconnected through, yeah, yeah. through love or family or passion or ang- anger and all these other things. I thought that was really well done. I wish that that would have been a little bit more a little bit more expounded on early in the book and and you know I even said this before the show I don't know exactly how you go about doing that like I I would there there are a lot of times you read a book and you're like man I wish this was here and, that, and it's like well how do you tell a story like that how yeah. do you how do you how do you inject that into your narrative other than it just being kind of this overarching thing that you sort of you see things play out and then we kind of talk about it at the end or or you sort of see it sort of top down and more of a big picture at the end. So I don't know how it would have really played out, but I, I wasn't too big on the, on the, on, like you said, kind of the, the, the scapegoat angle or the like clear defined bad guy angle. I want, I want to know more or I want to see more of that, like of that intermingling that she talks about at the end, that sort of like how things layer in these communities in ways that are just, you know, they're just born through time and through just, all of these other, um, all of these other things, just coming together to form these weird dynamics and these just weird power sort of hierarchies. Yeah, you know, not to not to restate you know too much of of what you've already said, but you know, I I think that um, I think that it, the the Aryan Brotherhood stuff does does sort of become. Um, a very logical sort of scapegoat for people's behavior, um, like racially speaking on, 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 on both sides, right. You sort of have Geneva's camp and then you have, you know, Wally's camp. Right. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it sort of becomes, um, you know, antagonistic and, and protectionist. Um, and you know, I, I think at least in, in my view of the world, um, the, the bigger thing to me is that uh, we don't have conversations about race often, and that racism um, is is a lot of times um, you know subconscious and uh, a part of you know groups that are not just hidden away in, in East Texas, um, but you know live in in urban or suburban environments around you know different groups of people, and you know. To, I would have rather have seen uh, the Aryan Brotherhood out of this and seen just sort of normal town folk still dealing with the same same sort of shit. Yeah. Um, and I think to me that's that's a more compelling story about uh, America as a whole because you know um, on the other side, um, and and what we've seen recently, and you know I, again we'll always try to not be too. Uh, 
provocative with, you know, sort of my, my own, you know, political beliefs or anything. But um, I think the point of, of having the Aryan Brotherhood in here, and this book came out before, uh, before everything, you know, uh, well, I shouldn't say it came out. It was written before, you know, Trump and Charlottesville and, and all of that kind of stuff, is that there is a, another segment of society that is still prevalent. The KKK, um, the Aryan Brotherhood, um, those are things that I think, you know, had you asked somebody uh, four or five years ago, like how pervasive is that sort of institutionalized and and like open, you know, racism in our society, we would say, you know, it's it's not really that common. That's that's something more of the past. Now we have to deal with this, the smaller fragments of uh, of, of, you know, getting past race in our society. But then, you know, once, once the, the current president was, was elected, um, these groups feel emboldened to, you know, have, have rallies like they did at, at, at Charlottesville, um, you know, to, to do much more, you know, sort of propaganda work and, and, you know, you see things much more prevalent in the news. So I think part of it too is, is that she's trying to say like, you know, isn't it shocking that this, this, this still exists that, you know, we're in, you know, 2018 or 2017, whenever this is, this is really Mm -hmm. set. And, um, you know, we still have these racist groups that, uh, you know, sort of operate and, 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 uh, and, uh, direct society in these small towns. Um, and that there's really nothing anybody can do about it unless something else happens. And so I think to, to me, while I agree that like it would have been much better if the Aryan Brotherhood wasn't involved, I sort of can come full circle on it and say that, you know, by that token of, you know, isn't it crazy that these people, you know, are allowed to still do their thing that, you know, they're not completely, you know, a scapegoat for for racism. Sure. And uh, again, trying not to inject politics too much in this. I feel like I'm a little bit better at it than you, but I I know I I I, I will agree to you on the, on that kind of, uh, on just sort of that sort of pervasive undercurrent that exists. Um, I don't know if we're necessarily in agreement on to how widespread it is, um, but I certainly think that it is. It it is existing in uh, overrepresented in in these type of communities that we deal with in the book, and so I think that that um, I will agree with you on that. That you yeah. see, because you know when you have these sort of when you have these sort of groups or ideas it's not like they're just evenly dispersed everywhere you know in any you know community around the country or whatnot like i can definitely see that people tend to gravitate towards towards others that that can help them it's you know strength in numbers type situation so yeah i i can definitely see why it's why it's injected into the story because it's not that hard pressed to think you know in a town of 200 people that you could have a contingent a good contingent a sizable contingent that operate within these groups and, and, and feel this way yep. that wouldn't be nearly as powerful in say, you know, a city like Dallas where right. I think proportionally you would not even come close to that same degree of, of oversight, at least not in the explicit, in the explicit way. Now, as right. far but as like our parents' generation, like, you know, I've, I've had conversations with, you know, with my parents or, or, you know, other people oh, absolutely. where, where you're like, do you, do you really feel that way? I think, like, yeah, and you know? I and I think that there is that. That's and that's the interesting area I think to address and to talk about is that kind of like borderline, um, that just like borderline group that it's very, it's not it. They're not the kind of people that are going to go out and like you know 
drop in bombs or anything, or they're not the kind of people that are going to be overtly, overtly racist or prejudiced, but you do have those, you do have that like subtlety to it, that subtle racism that yeah. it just kind of becomes like that you can see and it, it and becomes kind of commonplace and that you maybe even forget that you're seeing just because, you know, you kind of get inundated with it in a lot of ways. And I think that that to me now kind of where we are now, that that is sort of the more, I don't know, the more interesting and the more, uh, the more I would, the more poignant thing to be looking into than necessarily like the overtly like you know here's this you know hyper hyper racially focused yeah. you know group that that preaches all sorts of things because I don't know I don't know I think I think it would have worked a little bit better with that kind of feeling but at the same time like I said I think in, when you're talking about small towns you can talk about a very a very small number of people collectively can can have a very profound impact on on how that sort of works its way out in those towns. And I think that that was a lesson, or not a lesson, but I think that that was a point to take away from this too, is that you have, it's just not in Lark, Texas, right? You have yeah. all sorts of small communities all throughout, you know, the South and the Midwest and hell, maybe even some, you know, kind of West and North and all over the place that you can certainly see these sort of these sort of power structures remaining, even you know years, decades after what you would expect those kind sure. of things to be dismantled, at least at least uh, administratively within these cities. Maybe not entirely socially. It doesn't surprise me that these things still sort of exist. It's unfortunate, and you know it's it 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 isn't surprising in the least, but. That's, I think, the thing that that I took away from this, from that more so than anything else, was just kind of this, that over-concentration within these type of communities. Yeah. And, you know, I think that, uh, at least I hope that she's she's obviously set this up, you know, to be a series of of books based on on, the the way that it ends. And, uh, you know, obviously with the FX stuff, um, you know, and just knowing some of the things that they produce, which, you know, I think as far as like, you know, cable television, some of the best series that I've watched have, have been on, on FX. So I have high hopes, you know, for the fact that they will, you know, sort of extrapolate that conversation about race throughout the entire thing. Um, because I, I think that is, um, that's the most interesting thing about this book to me is, is, you know, going through all of the motions of like a murder investigation, but having the, the lens on everybody involved being race at, at some level. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I, I, I hope that, you know, she's got plenty of time to, to explore some of these other, other themes and, you know, to be fair, wouldn't have, uh, wouldn't have been, um, Fair of us to to you know expect her to hit all of those things yeah. in a two hundred. It's like a three hundred three hundred two page book, yeah, <laughs> and not like a super. You know, we got we we're double spaced here. It's not like super densely packed in there. Yeah. So yeah, I think yeah. that would have been asking for sure. That would have been asking a lot to cover in one book, but certainly with the way that the book ended, we're we're to imagine that this is to be a continued upon story at least with our with our main character. Okay, let's but, talk. What? Let's talk. All right. So we'll do both of the endings because there's there's the ending of the book in this story, and then there's the additional ending. Okay. After let's let's talk the about the additional ending first because okay. that's the smaller thing. So uh, if you're confused at what what we're talking about, it's where uh, basically his mother 
shows up at the house and Camilla yeah. digs up the the gun that was uh or the 38 that was potentially used in what was the dude's uh what was an M name? It was the one I didn't write down. Yeah, I, yeah. that Mac had used. Yeah, yeah. Um, on I forget I forget the guy that the, the guy that had gotten killed. Though. Yeah, I the guy his that name. tore into his into his house and was threatening his daughter or whatever. Yeah. Uh, anyway, alleged this is the potential missing yeah, murder so, weapon from that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you know that was that was sort of an aside at the at the end of of everything that up oh, his mom's got the gun. She's she's on the outs. Um, and, uh, you know, he doesn't want anything to do with her necessarily. And now she has the, the greatest leverage over him personally, you know, with his potential freedom, cause it was on his property, but you know, at the very least, uh, his, his career. But yeah. And I do like the way that it's kind of addressed that you see a lot of like how Darren is compromised in that he, he noticed that the tree was new, but didn't think to ask about it. He didn't think about a lot of this like interaction in yep. dealing with his friend, just kind of in a way kind of subtly tying or not subtly, but in a way kind of addressing it where, you know, it's like he, he didn't see all of these signs of these things that, that are potentially biting with ass. And it's just kind of like the idea of, you know, I guess even tying in with the whole race relation approach that a lot of things you don't think about, or you don't see on face level until you're kind of confronted you're with smacked that. in the face. Yeah. With until yeah, you're kind yeah. of confronted with something like that. And that was what kind of, that was what I took away a little bit from that was that was sort of a, that was sort of a, a parallel to be drawn there that a lot of the, what you see with Darren and kind of how he involved himself in that situation, you can draw a lot of parallels to the way that even like law enforcement and, and Lark, just the way that they've approached the murders of, of people within that town, that it's, you know, they're very much, they're willing to kind of go with whatever their first intent is on it. And they don't necessarily think to go beyond that or, or they don't want to go beyond that and think beyond that. Yeah. So, I didn't. Uh, I know she was obviously setting up the the next book in the series, sure. but um, the the one thing that that scene kind of made me made me think about then was like, you know, where where are his loyalties, right? Yeah. Um, and it seems to be um, generally throughout the book with you know Law and Order, but he does make the drive up from Houston to go help that guy. Um, you know, with, with his situation, which was a considerable drive. Um, you know, it wasn't just like he was around the block or something, just pop over to interject himself, you know, and, and put his career in, in jeopardy. Um, you know, then, I mean, we don't know how the gun necessarily got there. Um, we assume that the guy, you know, literally planted it to, you know, so that it wasn't found, um, uh, on his property, but, you know, you sort of could be left open with the possibility that Darren knew, you know, either by uh, neglect or uh, maybe he was complicit. Yeah. Um, you know, so so then you you kind of start seeing in him the things that you you know see in the uh, in the ice house and uh, you see at Geneva's where yeah. you sort of have this protectionist mentality. You know, like this this is mine. Um, and I will do, you know, what's necessary to, um, to, to keep it. To I protect mean, that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, same, same sort of reason, I guess that, that Wally ends up killing, uh, Joe Sweet, right? Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he saw, uh, and was, and was jealous of, of his dad's affection for, for Geneva, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, 
you get these multiple layers in this book, which, you know, which is, which is always nice. And, um, you know, to me that like loyalty question was at the end, um, combined with some of the other things was the one thing that sort of like redeemed Darren as a character a bit for me, because now we have, you know, very clear, um, not necessarily accidental conflicts of interest. Um, you know, and, and now we can sort of start to question, you know, how, good is this person you know outside of the normal realm of you know right. the tropes that we would see from him previously yeah no i agree 100 percent on that that i think that the the second ending or what would be i would assume is kind of a little push into what would be a series or maybe even just another book involving darren i thought i found that more satisfying of an event than that the ending we actually got um with this book which we can talk about the first day. Yeah. So, so just, bef- I, w- I want you to read your your thing. But before we do that, like in in general, we get to a point where we think that one of the crimes is is going to be correctly. Um, uh, what is the word? I'm uh, prosecuted. Yeah. Um, and the right person is going to be charged, but then we sort of say, "So is murky." Like, yeah, but then like, oh, it's it's good enough, you know, that this person's he killed somebody, right? Yeah, um, he didn't and, necessarily he didn't necessarily kill Michael, but he right. did, you know, attack him on the night before. Exactly, so, and that you know, was they, we'll they already Keith. had him pegged for Missy, yeah, for Keith. And so you know, you, you sort of have this imperfect but acceptable potentially to some people answer to, you know, what, what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I, I would like to, to, to hear what you have to say. I think that ending, if you would have left it there would have said everything that this, this novel intended to say about, um, how far people outside of you know their their own sort of clans are willing to go for each other? Yeah, I mean, I think that you know you get Darren and they're they're at the press conference and it's kind of like he has this realization of the political nature behind everything and the climate that's surrounding and they don't want they they really want to prosecute this and get this because you know he has no you know Aryan Brotherhood ties and so they're trying right. to not make this a you know like a racially motivated. Um, thing. It's like, oh, well, he was with his wife, so it was more of a crime of passion than anything else. They didn't want, I guess, based on the like political climate of of the time that this is taking place, that this is just an easy, this is kind of the the most effective means of like, hey, we got our guy, but at the same time, we're also like, we're not really stirring the pot on any true issues that are at play here. And Darren kind of gets that that realization of it, and just sort of everything that happens with that and the way that it's kind of concluding, I thought that that was going to be, I was like, well, this is, this is fitting. This is kind of fitting for the way that this book is set up, that yep. it's, like you said, it's so much of like, what are you willing to go to to kind of protect your own? And whether that's, you know, the city of Lark, whether that's, you know, the the Texas Rangers and, and just the way that it's viewed, because if it's, if it's a, uh, you know, an Aryan brotherhood crime, then a lot of like federal prosecutors and that becomes like a more yeah, of a federal F- issue as they come yeah. down and, you know, they, they, they have to deal with all that. So just sort of protecting their own waters. Right. And then the book one eighties that yeah, hundred so percent, you, you get this, you get this dump of just things that happen and very quickly. Yeah. Like things just go, he's riding back with Geneva in the car like the same day as this uh, as this news conference, 
Right. And then the same day he goes over to Walt. It, it, just everything within a matter of like hours, just right. completely 180s on this whole, the whole end of this story. Yeah. So what we're left with then in that very short amount of time, we find out that Wally killed Joe Sr. years ago because, because he was jealous, right? Um, Michael was killed by Isaac uh, for the sake of Wally. Yeah. And so, so that uh, because he thought that Michael was, was sort of trying to revive the, the Joe sweet murder. Which and, you know, he was, he was, he was. And, yeah. So, um, then obviously you have, uh, you have Keith kill, killing Missy out of jealousy for sleeping with another black man, uh, or allegedly, um, and then, uh, sort of to the side, then you have the Joe Jr. Murder, yeah. um, you know, with his wife, uh, which was kind of already solved, but, you know, relates to that whole sort of saga. So you get, you know, basically those, those three big murders kind of dump in at the end, you know, in, in the last, I don't, I wish I would have paid attention, but the last, I would guess 40 pages. Oh, not even uh, the last, like, well, of the actual book. Yeah. yeah. Probably from, uh, Oh, I would say probably chapter 27 or excuse me, chapter 20. There's, there's 27 chapters before you get the Camilla little excerpt. Okay. And I think the last two and a half, maybe okay. are when all of this sort of, happens and like we said not like super long chapter so right. a very a very plot dump there kind of at the end yeah and and for me i i found that highly dissatisfying because like i said i think it i think it subverts all of the other um all of the other sort of themes and you know the potential message of um, you know, how things operate in these, in these small towns and, and how, you know, people of different races and law enforcement, um, you know, uh, have, have their, their disparate motivations, um, from just a book that I want, like want to enjoy and be satisfied in. Like, yeah, it was, yeah. it was sort of just, you know, brain candy, like, all right, everybody like gets sorted out. We've got, we've got it all figured out. Um, you and then know. you get kind of the, you get, you do get kind of the like layered, hierarchy reveal of kind of the layers of of everything that plays within kind of the relationships between all these people that explain a lot of it which i i kind of marked the passage for that but i yeah it does i feel like all of that all of this sort of plot happening to sort of tie everything's off everything up for the sake of explaining all of these all of this interconnectivity I definitely I I'd wish that maybe it didn't go that route and that sort of interconnectivity played a bigger role in everything leading up to that point as far as uh exposition goes I mean we get little doses of it but yeah but really and I'll I'll get to the the segment yeah, that I marked off just read, kind of like that just the the like this to me when I was reading through and finishing this book, it's like this kind of stood out to me as the sort of the central idea or the central theme of the book is is what everything was talking about. So it says Michael and Missy's murders were race crimes. Yes. But that was mainly because of the ways race defines so much about Lark, Texas, especially in terms of love, unexpected and the family ties it created. He had forgotten that the most elemental instinct in human nature is not hate, but love. The former inextricably linked to the latter. Isaac had killed Michael to keep Geneva's love, to have a seat at her hearth. Wally had killed Joe because he couldn't accept or even understand what he felt for Geneva, just as he couldn't stand the fact that they were, all of them, related. Geneva, Little Joe, Keith, Jr., and Wally. 
They were one big family. It was the same with Keith, a man who, despite himself, loved a son who shared the blood of a black man. It was an eternal connection that shamed him, a fact that he couldn't erase no matter how many brotherhood tattoos he got when he ended up back at the walls in Huntsville for killing Missy. No matter how much distance he tried to put between his wife's skin and Geneva's brown, Wally's and Keith's lives revolved around the black folks they claimed to hate but couldn't leave alone. It was, as his Uncle Clayton would say, an obsession that weakened them, that enraged and eventually enslaved them within their own hearts. I mean, it is a concise summary of everything that we just sort of got dumped at the end. Yeah. But... But yeah, I just, I feel like that's like, that's a very poignant message. Yeah. And, and at the heart of a lot in the story. And I just, man, I I do feel like that was a little bit, the way that it ended was a little bit underwhelming. Um, when you had kind of this idea sort of set up to be the central theme or the central kind of revelation to this Mm -hmm. plot and the way that it sort of played out just felt a little bit, uh, not rushed, but just kind of all at once and not really... Not really how I would imagine something like that sort of taking place. Yeah, I, I mean, even the interconnectivity of obviously the 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 family relationship between everybody, um, you know, but then also the interconnectivity of of the murders themselves. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I I, I think for me as a reader, it all fell flat because of uh, how quickly it all happened, and you know, I I think you make a good point that. Like it would have been nice to to sort of ruminate on on that complexity, yeah, and um, to have more of the the book rooted in in that, you know, whether that is potentially, you know, Geneva not wanting charges filed against Wally, uh, or you know, what whatever it is, or uh, you know, Isaac, yeah, no, I was no, thinking Wally. Wally from for murdering Joe Sweet, oh, um, or you know. Like wanting to 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 persecute or prosecute persecute uh, Isaac, um, you know, because of uh, because of you know killing killing Michael, and like I don't know, there, there's just there's a lot of additional layers there that I, I feel like went um, unexplored. Yeah, but that being said, I mean, I I don't know. That was I mean I I'm I'm, I'm done with as far as questions that I had about this. Yeah, Did I got you have anything? So, okay. So just, I guess, kind of like bringing everything all back in yeah. sort of as one central thought in that I still thoroughly enjoyed the book. Yes. From a structure standpoint, from an execution standpoint, and from a narrative standpoint, although I like, I mean, like we just said, I think that there are some things that felt a little bit, a little bit disappointing because they weren't quite. It was like, oh, it, it, I, I felt like this book in a, a lot of the things with, with the way that it ended and with just sort of everything tying up, it's done in a way that's very palatable mm-hmm. for kind of like a wider audience as yep. sort of a, you know, it's, it's, it's a, written in a way to sell books, sure. not, not to win and, awards. And or, I said this, be, yeah. And I yeah. said this like last week with whenever you're reading things and you're reading things that are uncomfortable, because I think the McCarthy book was clearly kind of a, it's one of those reads that for most people would be very uncomfortable for, right. for one reason or another. You're, yeah. yours might be I'm, grammatically, I'm might, be, might be more uh, <laughs> subject matter, but I think this is another book that kind of gets on that line of like, it's a good read because it, it gives you time to, to get outside of your own sort of thoughts and your own process and, and, and think about uncomfortable things and, and deal with sort of uncomfortable situations that mirror a lot of what true 
you know, what is true within our, within our world and the things that people have to experience. And I certainly think that a little bit more risk could have been taken with kind of going a little bit more all in on that, as opposed to kind of having the murder mystery type, uh, close to it. And that's, I mean, really that's, that's probably the only thing that I can really fault this book for. Cause like I said, with the, with the nature of how the characters are written, I did see a real value in that because it, it did allow you, like you said, it allowed you to kind of put that, put that to rest and focus on the story. Um, as much as I would have, as much as I love like unique natures of characters. And I feel like, you know, with the whole second ending, we got a little bit of that nature in Darren that I would have loved somehow to have been incorporated earlier. But I, I certainly think that that does redeem a little bit of, of that nature because you get that yeah. sort of, uh, you get that congruency between the way that he's kind of approached, you know, the protectionist nature of his own versus how, you know, the racist people in a small little town kind of approach in the same way that there's, there's a, there's a connection there and a sense of just over overarching human behavior, even beyond just relations with others based on race. It's, 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 it comes down to just a simple, you know, whoever you associate with whatever group of people, whether it's family, whether it's extended or friends or whether you identify, you know, as a Texan or you identify as someone from a town or from a country or whatever, there is that, there is that, that nature to protect your own and to protect the things that are close to you familiar from, from threats, whether real or imagined or seen or unseen. And I think that that's a big part of this book that that was that was the part of the book that I enjoyed. And I think that we could have gotten a little bit like we're just like right there on just getting just a little bit more in that and just pulling all of that out and and having that be the primary focus instead of the actual, you know, events and and closing everything off there at the end. Yeah, that was that was just kind of the over the overview that I had on this book and not to take away from it because I still enjoyed the hell out of it. So, yeah, I'm, I you said literally everything I could I could say about it. So let's let's get to our ratings. Let's get to our ratings. Do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first? Uh, I'll go first. Okay. Um, I I think that uh, based on you know just just everything that you just said, the enjoyment level, the certainly the craft, um, the the content in there, uh, I'm keeping it for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I think had the had the book explored um, some of these more complex relationships and themes i would have stuck it on the top shelf uh probably in a heartbeat um i wouldn't be surprised if i go find another one of her books um at you know some point down the line and uh it ends up on the top shelf but for now uh i'm gonna put this one on the on the middle shelf yeah i think if there was a spot that was like the solid middle top shelf area then this would (laughs) occupy that um but because I feel like it's it's right there in the same way for me, like right in between the middle and the top shelf, uh, I want to give it the benefit of the doubt and push it up. But I just think the small little things for me are going to keep it on the middle shelf. And not yeah. that that's a, a bad thing in any way, because no. it's certainly it's still on our bookshelf. Yeah. The things that I yeah, the again, I, I try to because I try to, you know, as we get into more and more books and that are completely different and we're trying to sort of compare based on the system that we that we set up for this you know you kind of just have to take a like all right what are what's the criteria for me that puts it on the top shelf and i said i think in the past that top shelf is a universal recommendation for me yeah it is something that i am very eager to read again and 
I think it's something that that kind of checks the multiple boxes and the things that I'm looking for in fiction. And I think that this is, oh man, it's it's a recommendation. I would say it's probably a universal recommendation for me. I think there's a lot to be enjoyed out of it. I don't know if it's something that I'm like that. And that's the thing is that's I think the one knock on this book is that I enjoyed it, but it's not something that I necessarily feel compelled to like go back and reread again. Yeah, because I think it's and that's that's not a bad thing. It was very digestible on the first read. And I feel like I got I feel like I got out of it what I would get out of this book that yep. I, I don't know yep. if necessarily subsequent rereads are going to sort of turn over a new leaf for me with this thing. And uh, it did check a lot of the boxes, but. I'm gonna put it. I'm gonna put it middle shelf. But this is tough. This is yeah. tough. I seriously, I could see it on top shelf. I could see it on middle shelf. It's like right there for me. But I am gonna put it on middle shelf. But it's probably by far the highest one that I've got on the middle shelf right now. Okay. Well, it's tough. I, I seem to. I seem to be on a roll with my book selection still. Very so good. That's good. And I, this one was a blind shot, um, relatively speaking. I mean, yeah. No, but I'm I'm definitely I would definitely be open to reading something else by by Attica Lot. Yeah, and uh, check out the show on on FX. I didn't see like a release date, so it's you know probably still way early on. But um, I again uh, love the stuff that FX has put out, and I I think certainly there's a compelling place. Um, and uh, I'm interested to see what they uh, what they do with the story and, and the character and, and all of that. And I don't know. I said. I might, I might maybe pick up the next book, you know, it, like a vacation read. Like this was yeah. a good vacation read. Oh, absolutely. Me. This was a good, I, I mean, like, I think it was more heightened just because of the sort of change stylistically and kind of the direction that things went from, uh, Blood Meridian. But yeah, it was, uh, it certainly was one that I picked up and started reading and it was, it was, you know, things were just rolling. Yep. This was a book that you just get into and things are kind of rolling. Pace takes a little bit to kind of pick up, but it just gets rolling once it does. Absolutely. All right. So next book uh, is going to be a bit more dense. I haven't started this one yet. I haven't either. Okay. Uh, so, but it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's dense, but it's not a very long book. I think it's like 190 pages. Yeah. So, but I mean, it's, you know, it's not, a. it's, we're talking small text. Yeah. Not super duper spaced out, so this won't be so much like Barnes, you know, the 163, but it's uh, it's To the Lighthouse by Virginia Woolf. I don't know too terribly much about the uh, the story and the author, but it did come highly recommended from my sister, who okay. I certainly appreciate her, uh, or I respect her, her book opinion. And uh, I had, when I was looking, and I'd found out that uh, you had picked Bluebird, Bluebird, and you tend to, you've, you've tend to be our our contemporary uh, chooser of books. I feel yes. like you're more inclined to kind of pick things that have come out recently within the last 15, 20 years or so, whereas I've been kind of all over the place. I've picked books that have been recently, and I've picked, you know, I a lot of me comes back, and I want to I want to explore kind of like early, early 20th century, uh, century literature and, yeah. and things of that nature. And so we're taking it back. We're going to take it like back it. about a century or so. I believe the time period, it's... They're, they're, it's a family in the Hebrides around the time of World War One, and it's just dealing a lot with kind of family dynamic and the way that sort of things change over time. And obviously that's been a big, you know, that's been a theme in a lot of the things that we've read and a lot oh, yeah. of the things that have interested us. So yeah, To the Lighthouse by Virginia Woolf is going to be the next book that we read. And I don't know if you've thought about the book after that. <laughs> I don't know if you want to give people an extra week head start or we can, we can wait until next week, but yeah, no, I, uh, I literally until, um, I started saying 
my shelf recommendation. Um, I realized that I had given no thought whatsoever to our, our, our next next book. I need to get better about that because you're, you're like I'm, one I'm step ahead of me. I'm the champ. I'm getting them out. I'm I know. getting the book out. We're reading mine, and I'm throwing the next one out. I, I have I have some ideas, and and I'm leaning right now toward doing some like creative nonfiction stuff because we haven't uh, we haven't really touched on that. Okay, yeah. Um, it's we're we're getting close to fall. It's time for the we can do some poetry. We can do some short stories. We can do all sorts of crazy stuff. Yeah, you know, actually, I have I have I have a pretty interesting uh, proposal for a uh, a, a fall book. Um, okay. It's called Night Country by Stuart Onan. Okay. Uh, I've read a bunch of, of Onan's uh, stuff because I actually read that book specifically in college, and then I just I loved his stuff, so I just bought a bunch of shit. Didn't really like... Uh, there, were, there were a couple things. Uh, Last Night at the Lobster I liked a lot. Um, it was, and, uh, and then I forget there's one other one that, that I enjoyed a little bit. But um, at any rate, uh, Night Country is uh, about these kids who like die in a car wreck and how they can like sort of come back in part like as people sort of remember them um and sort of like relive certain things um and it's uh it's a good like sort of fall themed kind of thing sure so at some point i don't know if we can time it with like halloween or whatever but that would be a that would be a good uh that would be a good book. Yeah, so I'm still holding on to uh, Oblivion, the short story collection from David Foster Wallace. Eventually, whenever, but I was going to let you break the seal on the short story collection first before we. Uh, we yeah, fully I mean, I've that. just got so many, so many things that I want to read. It's 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 hard to like commit. That's my problem. Yeah. So um, the long and short of it is, no, you don't have a book chosen no, for after to the I, lighthouse by but Virginia. I, but, I but we'll to, know next time. Yeah. We'll know our next two books next episode. Yeah, that, that's a fine dynamic because I feel like if we. Announce two books, then one, then two books, then one. That's we don't we don't push ourselves too far out ahead. We can leave a little bit of room there for yeah, and zigging and zagging. It'll if we probably decide to change be books. it'll probably be on our Twitter and on the SoundCloud website. Uh, you know, our, we have a little book list out to the uh, out to the side there. Um, so definitely go check those those things. Yeah. Um, and so we'll post it before you hear the episodes. Um, so that's just a little pro tip that I don't think we've mentioned before. Yeah. And, um, and, and we'll be making sure that the episodes don't cut off early going forward yeah, for a few yeah. of our, now was that just SoundCloud There's, or was that iTunes also? It was everything. Was it? Yeah. And oh. then, yeah. So, so if, if people aren't aware, uh, we had, uh, episode 12 get, uh, clipped about six minutes at the end of the episode. And this is after I had already uploaded it twice. Cause I renumbered it 11, yeah. tweeted it out, and then I had to backtrack. Um, anyway, I've, I've had some personal stuff going on and I've not been a good custodian of my brain lately. Yeah. And, uh, that was just, uh, that was a pure oversight on my, on my part. So, um, yeah, if people like Vicky was listening, my wife was listening to the, to the podcast uh last night uh or she was looking at her podcast list and one of our like clipped episodes that only like nine minutes uploaded uh was still in her like apple queue so there's some weirdness <laughs> going on if if you ever get to an episode that like didn't finish or there's you know a dog barking in the background or some like weird intermission just feel free to tweet us at yeah. better bookshelf or wait a couple hours because we'll, we'll probably we'll probably <laughs> re-upload it and get it up there shortly uh, thereafter so yeah I'll, I'll, I'll get good. All right. Uh, that is the end of our episode. Thank you for listening. Next time we're doing Virginia Wolf's to the lighthouse and 
Until next time. Books! <laughs> <laughs>